Chapter 3 of The Sikh Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Sikh Religion, Its Gurus, Sacred Writings, and Authors by Max Arthur McAuliffe. Volume 1. Chapter 3. The Guru, on one occasion, seeing his parents and relations standing around him to consider his condition, composed a hymn in the Rag Gauri Chetti. Since when have I a mother? Since when a father? Whence have we come? From fire and bubbles of water are we sprung. For what object were we created? My Lord, who knoweth thy merits, my demerits cannot be numbered. How many shrubs and trees have we seen? How many beasts created by thee? How many species of creeping things, and how many birds hast thou caused to fly? Men break through the shops and great houses of cities, and stealing therefrom go homewards. They look before them, they look behind them. But where can they hide themselves from thee? The banks of streams of pilgrimage, the nine regions of the earth, shops, cities, and marketplaces have I seen. Becoming a shopkeeper, I take a scale and try to weigh my actions in my heart. My sins are numerous as the waters of the seas and the ocean. Bestow compassion, extend a little mercy, save me, who am like a sinking stone. My soul is burning like fire. It is as though shears were cutting my heart. Nanak humbly representeth, he who obeyeth God's order is happy day and night. Kalu then desired that his son should embrace a mercantile life. He instructed him to go to Chuharkana in the present district of Gujranwala and buy there salt, turmeric and other articles to trade with. Nanak set out with a servant and on the way met some holy men whose vows obliged them to remain naked in all seasons. Nanak was struck by this peculiarity, and inquired of their head-priest Santren if they had no clothes to wear, or if, having clothes, they found it uncomfortable to wear them. Before he could receive an answer, Nanak was reminded by his servant of his more practical mission, and counseled to proceed to Chuharkana, in obedience to his father's instructions. Nanak, however, was not to be thwarted in his object. He pressed the priest for an answer. The priest replied that his company required not clothes or food, except in so far as the latter was voluntarily bestowed on them. To avoid all luxury, they dwelt in forests and not in peopled towns and villages. Nanak thought he had found what he had sought for, and said to his servant that he had already obeyed his father's instructions, which were to spend his money to the best advantage. He therefore gave the holy men the money with which his father had provided him. Upon this they asked him his name, and he said that he was Nanak Nirankari, or Nanak the worshipper of the formless one, that is, God. Nanak was prevailed upon to take the money to the nearest village to buy food for the holy men who had not tasted any for some days. When the fakirs took their departure, 
Nanak was censured by his servant for his reckless prodigality. He then realized the nature of his act and did not go home, but sat under a tree outside the village of Talwandi. He was there found by his father, who cuffed him for his disobedience. The aged tree under which he sat is still preserved. A wall has been built around it for protection. Within the enclosure are found religious men in prayer and contemplation. The tree is known as Tamsahib, or the holy trunk. Jairam, during his yearly visits to Talwandi, at the close of the spring harvest, had ample opportunities of cultivating Nanak's acquaintance and appreciating his good qualities. Rai Bular, too, was no apathetic advocate of Nanak. It was agreed between him and Jairam that Nanak was a saint ill-treated by his father, and Jairam promised to cherish him and find him occupation in Sultanpur. Nanak's departure to his brother-in-law was precipitated by another act of worldly indiscretion. He had entered into companionship with a fakir who visited the village. Nanak told him, as he did the other fakirs, that his name was Nanak Nirankari, and a friendly intimacy sprang up between them. The fakir was probably a swindler and coveted a brass lota or drinking vessel and a gold wedding ring which Nanak wore and asked that they might be presented to him. Nanak acceded to the request to the further sorrow and indignation of his parents. After that, it was not too difficult to induce Kalu to allow his father to proceed to Sultanpur to join Jairam and Nanaki. The other members of Nanak's family also unanimously approved of his decision. Nanak's wife alone, on seeing him make preparations for his journey, began to weep and said, My life, even here, thou hast not loved me. When thou goest to a foreign country, how shalt thou return? He answered, Simple woman, what have I been doing here? Upon this she again entreated him, When thou satest down at home, I possessed in my estimation the sovereignty of the whole earth. Now this world is of no avail to me. Upon this he grew compassionate and said, Be not anxious, thy sovereignty shall ever abide. She replied, My life, I will not remain behind. Take me with thee. Then Nanak said, I am now going away. If I can earn my living, I will send for thee. Obey my order. She then remained silent. When Nanak asked Rai Bullar's permission to depart, the Rai gave him a banquet. The Rai then requested him to give him any order he pleased, that is, to state what favour he might grant him. Nanak replied, I give thee one order if thou wilt comply with it. When thine own might availeth not, clasp thy hands and worship God. Jairam introduced Nanak as an educated man to the governor, Daulat Khan, who appointed him storekeeper and gave him a dress of honour as a preliminary of service. Nanak began to apply himself to his duties and so discharged them that everybody was gratified and congratulated him. He was also highly praised to the governor, who was much pleased with his new servant. Out of the provisions which Guru Nanak was allowed, 
he devoted only a small portion to his own maintenance. The rest he gave to the poor. He used continually to spend his nights singing hymns to his Creator. If Nanak, when weighing out provisions, went as far as the number thirteen, Tera, he used to pause and several times repeat the word, which also means thine, that is, I am thine, O Lord, before he went on weighing. The minstrel Mardana subsequently came from Talwandi and became Nanak's private servant. Mardana was a tribe of the Dums, who are minstrels by heredity. He used to accompany Nanak on the Rabab or Ribek. Other friends too followed. Nanak introduced them to the Khan and procured them employment. They all got a living by Nanak's favour and were happy. At dinner time they came and sat down with him, and every night there was continual singing. A watch before day, Nanak used to go to the neighbouring Bain River and perform his ablutions. When day dawned, he went to discharge the duties of his office. One day, after bathing, Nanak disappeared in the forest and was taken in a vision to God's presence. He was offered a cup of nectar, which he gratefully accepted. God said to him, I am with thee, I have made thee happy, and also those who shall take thy name. Go and repeat mine, and cause others to do likewise. Abide uncontaminated by the world. Practice the repetition of my name, charity, ablutions, worship, and meditation. I have given thee this cup of nectar, a pledge of my regard. The Guru stood up and made a prostration. He then sang the following verses to the accompaniment of the spontaneous music of heaven. Were I to live for millions of years and drink the air for my nourishment, were I to dwell in a cave where I beheld not sun or moon and could not even dream of sleeping, I should still not be able to express thy worth. How great shall I call thy name? O true formless one, thou art in thine own place. As I have often heard, I tell my tale. If it please thee, show thy favour unto me. Were I to be felled and cut in pieces, were I to be ground in a mill, were I to be burned in a fire and blended with its ashes, I should still not be able to express thy worth. How great shall I call thy name? Were I to become a bird and fly to a hundred heavens, were I to vanish from human gaze and neither eat nor drink. I should still not be able to express thy worth. How great shall I call thy name? Nanak, had I hundreds of thousands of tons of paper and a desire to write on it all after the deepest reach, were ink never to fail me, and could I move my pen like the wind, I should still not be able to express thy worth. How great shall I call thy name? Hereupon a voice was heard, O Nanak, thou hast seen my sovereignty. Then Nanak said, O sire, what is anything that mortal can say, and what can be said or heard after what I have seen? Even the lower animals sing thy praises. Upon this the Guru uttered the preamble of the Japji. There is but one God whose name is true, the Creator, devoid of fear and enmity, immortal, unborn, 
self-existent, great and bountiful. The True One was in the beginning, the True One was in the primal age, the True One is, was, O Nanak, and the True One also shall be. When Nanak had finished, a voice was heard again. O Nanak, to him upon whom my look of kindness resteth, be thou merciful, as I too shall be merciful. My name is God, the primal Brahm, and thou art the divine Guru. The Guru then uttered the following hymn. Thou wise and omniscient art an ocean. How can I, a fish, obtain a knowledge of thy limit? Wherever I look, there art thou. If I am separated from thee, I shall burst. I know neither death the fisherman nor his net. When I am in sorrow, then I remember thee. Thou art omnipresent, though I thought thee distant. What I do is patent unto thee. Thou beholdest mine acts, yet I deny them. I have not done thy work or uttered thy name. Whatever thou givest that I eat, there is no other gate than thine. To whose gate shall I go? Nanak maketh one supplication. Soul and body are all in thy power. Thou art near, thou art distant, and thou art midway. Thou seest and hearest, by thy power didst thou create the world. Whatever order pleaseth thee, saith Nanak, that is acceptable. After three days the Guru came forth from the forest. The people thought he had been drowned in the neighbouring river, and how had he returned to life? He then went home, and gave all that he had to the poor. A great crowd assembled, and Nawab Daulat Khan, the governor, also came. He inquired what happened to Nanak, but received no reply. Understanding, however, that the Guru's acts were the result of his abandonment of this world, the governor felt sad said it was a great pity, and went home. It was the general belief at this time that Nanak was possessed with an evil spirit, and a mullah or Muhammadan priest was summoned to exorcise it. The mullah began to write an amulet to hang around Nanak's neck. While the mullah was writing, Nanak uttered the following, When the field is spoiled, where is the harvest heap? Cursed are the lives of those who write God's name and sell it. The mullah, paying no attention to Nanak's serious objurgation, continued the ceremony of exorcism and finally addressed the supposed evil spirit. Who art thou? The following reply issued from Nanak's mouth. Some say poor Nanak is a sprite. Some say he is a demon. Others again that he is a man. Those who were present then concluded that Nanak was not possessed, but had become insane. On hearing this, Nanak ordered Mardana to play the rebek, and continued the stanza. Simpleton Nanak had become mad upon the Lord, and knoweth none other than God. When one is mad with the fear of God, and recogniseth none other than the one God, he is known as mad when he doeth this one thing, when he obeyeth the master's order, in what else is there wisdom? 
when man loveth the lord and deemeth himself worthless and the rest of the world good he is called mad after this guru nanak donned a religious costume and associated constantly with religious men he remained silent for one day and the next he uttered the pregnant announcement there is no hindu and no musliman the sikhs interpret this to mean generally that both hindus and muhammadans had forgotten the precepts of their religions on a complaint made by the nawab qazi or expounder of muhammadan law the guru was summoned before daulat khan to give an explanation of his words he refused to go saying what have i to do with your khan the guru was again called a madman his mind was full of his mission and whenever he spoke he merely said there is no hindu and no musliman the qazi was not slow to make another representation to the governor on the impropriety of nanak's utterance upon this the governor sent for him a footman went and told the guru that the governor had requested him to come to him then guru nanak stood up and went to the governor the governor addressed him nanak it is my misfortune that such an officer as thou should have become a fakir the governor then seated him beside him and directed his qazi to ask now that nanak was in conversational mood the meaning of his utterance the qazi became thoughtful and smiled he then asked nanak what hath happened to thee that thou sayest there is no hindu and no musliman the guru not being engaged in controversy with hindus at the time gave no answer to the first part of the question in explanation of a statement that there was no musliman he uttered the following to be a musliman is difficult if one be really so then one may be called a musliman let one first love the religion of saints and put aside pride and pelf as the file removeth rust let him accept the religion of his pilots and dismiss anxiety regarding death or life let him heartily obey the will of god worship the creator and efface himself when he is kind to all men then nanak shall he be indeed a musliman the qazi then put further questions to the guru the guru called on mardana to play the rebeck and sang to it the following replies and instructions adapted for muhammadans make kindness thy mosque sincerity thy prayer carpet what is just and lawful thy quran modesty thy circumcision civility thy fasting so shalt thou be a musliman make right conduct thy kaaba truth thy spiritual guide good works thy creed and thy prayer the will of god thy rosary and god will preserve thine honor o nanak nanak let others goods be to thee as swine to the musliman and kind to the hindu hindu and musliman spiritual teachers will go bail for thee if thou eat not carrion thou shalt not go to heaven by lip service it is by the practice of truth thou shalt be delivered unlawful food will not become lawful by putting spices therein nanak from false words only falsehood can be obtained 
There are five prayers, five times for prayer, and five names for them. The first should be truth, the second what is right, the third charity in God's name, the fourth good intentions, the fifth the praise and glory of God. If thou make good works the creed thou repeatest, thou shalt be a Musulman. They who are false, O Nanak, shall only obtain what is altogether false. The Kazi became astonished at being thus lectured. Prayers had become to him a matter of idle lip repetition of Arabic texts, while his mind was occupied with his worldly affairs. It was now the time for afternoon prayer. The whole company, including Nanak, went to the mosque. Up rose the Kazi and began the service. The Guru looked towards him and laughed in his face. When the prayer was over, the Kazi complained to the Nawab of Nanak's conduct. The Guru said he had laughed because the Kazi's prayer was not accepted of God. The Kazi asked Nanak to state the reason for his conclusion. The Guru replied that immediately before the prayer, the Kazi had unloosed a newborn filly. While he ostensibly performed divine service, he remembered there was a well in the enclosure, and his mind was filled with apprehension lest the filly should fall into it. His heart was therefore not in his devotions. The Guru informed the Nawab also that while he was pretending to pray, he was thinking of purchasing horses in Kabul. Both admitted the truth of the Guru's statements, said he was favoured of God, and fell at his feet. The Guru then uttered the following, He is a Musulman who effaceth himself, who maketh truth and contentment his holy creed, who neither toucheth what is tending, nor eateth what hath fallen. Such a Musulman shall go to paradise. The whole company of Musulmans at the capital, the descendants of the Prophet, the tribe of Sheikhs, the Qazi, the Muftis, and the Nawab himself were all amazed at Nanak's words. The Mohammedans then asked the Guru to tell them of the power and authority of his God and how salvation could be obtained. Upon this the Guru addressed them as follows. At God's gate there dwell thousands of Muhammads, thousands of Brahmas, of Vishnus and of Shivs, thousands upon thousands of exalted Rams, thousands of spiritual guides, thousands of religious garbs, thousands upon thousands of celibates, true men and sannyasis, thousands upon thousands of Guraks, thousands upon thousands of superiors of yogis, thousands upon thousands of men sitting in the attitudes of contemplation, gurus and their disciples who make supplications, thousands upon thousands of goddesses and gods, thousands of demons, thousands upon thousands of Mohammedan priests, prophets, spiritual leaders, thousands upon thousands of qazis, mullahs and sheikhs. None of them obtaineth peace of mind without the instruction of the true Guru. How many hundreds of thousands of Siddhs and strivers, yea, countless and endless, all are impure without meditating on the word of the true Guru. There is one Lord over all spiritual lords, the Creator, whose name is true. Nanak, his worth cannot be ascertained, he is endless and incalculable. It is said that Daulat Khan, 
the Muslim ruler, on hearing this sublime hymn, fell at Guru Nanak's feet. The people admitted that God was speaking through Nanak's mouth, and that it was useless to catechize him further. The Nawab, in an outburst of affectionate admiration, offered him a sacrifice of his authority and estate. Nanak, however, was in no need of temporal possessions, and went again into the society of religious men. They too offered him their homage, and averred that he was desirous of the truth and abode in its performance. Nanak replied, My beloved, this body, first steeped in the base of worldliness, hath taken the dye of avarice. My beloved, such robe pleaseth not my spouse. How can woman thus dressed go to his couch? I am a sacrifice, O benign one, I am a sacrifice unto thee. I am a sacrifice unto those who repeat thy name. Unto those who repeat thy name, I am ever a sacrifice. Were this body, my beloved friends, to become a dyer's vat, the name to be put into it, and the Lord, the dyer, to die therewith, such colour had never been seen. O my beloved, the bridegroom is with those whose robes are thus dyed. Nanak's prayer is that he may obtain the dust of such person's feet. God himself it is who decketh, it is he who dieth, it is he who looketh with the eye of favour. Nanak, if the bride be pleasing to the bridegroom, he will enjoy her of his own accord. Upon this the fakirs kissed the Guru's feet. The governor also came, and all the people, both Hindu and Muslim, attended to salute and take final leave of him. Some complaints had been made of his extravagance as storekeeper. But when the governor made an investigation, he found the storehouse full, and all the Guru's accounts correct. Nay, it was discovered that money was due to him from the state. The Guru, however, refused to receive it, and requested the Nawab to dispose of it in relieving the wants of the poor. End of chapter 3 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama